I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer and my guest this week is Ruth Devlin. Ruth is the author of the interestingly named Men, Let's Talk Menopause. She's the founder of an organization called Let's Talk Menopause, which was set up to raise awareness of the menopause and also to provide accurate information about it. They run talks and workshops, both for the workplace and in the community. There's a brilliant blog on the website, which I'll link to in the show notes, but it is www.letstalkmenopause.co.uk, where you can also sign up for the newsletter. Ruth is a qualified nurse, and she's also appeared on Radio 4's Women's Hour, Radio Scotland, Radio Borders, also on a menopause documentary with Kirsty Walk on BBC Breakfast, and I'm sure um, featured in many other different publications. So Ruth, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hi. Thanks for having me on. It's lovely to speak to you. Pleasure. Great. No, I mean, I, we've had loads of questions, actually. I put out something out on Facebook today to say I was speaking to you and, and got quite a lot of questions. So we've got an enormous amount to work through in the next 30 minutes. I hope you're game. That's okay. We'll turbocharge through it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Look, let's start, first of all, with what is it we're talking about? What is the menopause in, in its various stages? And the secondary question is, how will we know it started? Okay, so the menopause, essentially, it's this transition from your reproductive phase to your non-reproductive phase. Okay, there's various stages. You go through the perimenopause, which is your most symptomatic stage, and then you're actually only classed as menopausal when you've had 12 continual months of no bleeding. Right. And then you go into this menopausal phase, yeah. So you're actually only menopausal for one day. And so you're either perimenopausal or postmenopausal. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that, that already clears up some confusion in my mind. Yeah, yeah. So the most symptomatic stage is the perimenopause. And that's where there's a huge myth because a lot of women I come across and and talk to, they'll say, oh, well, I've got to be fully menopausal until I start getting treated. No, no, you have to definitely get treatment. If you'd like treatment, you need it in that perimenopause stage because that's when you've got all these symptoms. That's when your hormones are fluctuating all over the place. And that's when you really need treatment if if you want to go down that route. Right. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And that perimenopausal stage, as I understand it, can last quite a long time, can't it? Oh, it can. Oh, it can, yes. How long is a piece of string? Well, it can last, you know, I mean, a lot of people would like to put a time length on these things. So a lot of people will say between four and 10 years, but that's just a rough guide. It's, it's different for every single individual. And that's why it's such a complex topic because every single woman, yes, we're going to go through the menopause, but we all experience it in such different ways. And one person will sail through with their libido and their pelvic floor completely intact. And that's the 20% of women, you know, and the other 80% of women will experience symptoms. And some of those can be extremely debilitating. So, you know, there's such a contrast of everybody's experiences. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I know someone who suffers very badly from it. I think I'm perimenopausal, according to recent blood results. Not very, yeah. but a bit peri, not very peri. Oh. But, there's, there's, you know, I, I had some sleep disruptions and night sweats, 
estrogen's falling yeah. something else has just gone up I forget what it is I had in, in some blood work yeah but I haven't really had any of the major symptoms certainly I'm 44 my mom was 44 when she became perimenopausal oh, okay. a good chance I am yeah but it feels to me like it's kind of coming and going but you know, one of my friends has, has got all the symptoms and really is suffering with, and actually has gone on HRT, which is something we'll come on to talk about. Yeah, no, that's great. Can I just say, can I just interject here? Because it's mm. just from diagnosis. So diagnosis should be from symptoms alone, unless you are prematurely menopausal. So if you're classed as prematurely menopausal, if you're 45 and under. So unless you're prematurely menopausal you shouldn't be having blood tests and things so it was good to hear you're 44 so if you are 45 and under that's when you should be offered a blood test the follicle stimulating hormone test but otherwise yep. you know your gp or whoever you go and see should be able to diagnose it from your symptoms alone right okay thanks for clarifying i mean on the subject of the blood test I want to just recommend a couple of routes people can go down. You've mentioned the GP, and of course you can go to the GP and have those blood tests done. But if anyone has the inclination, there are loads of direct-to-consumer blood tests now. Two companies in particular that we either work with or have worked with, but we've got no vested interest in. Fourth is one, and Thriver is another. Okay. And you can just pay, I think it's, it's something like 30, 40 pounds to get this blood test sent to your door and you just do a finger prick test and return and get the results two days later. So there are options for people to do these things. You know, you can take action yourself or you can go down to the GP, of course. Yeah, no, but I just need to reiterate that these blood tests are pretty inaccurate and useless unless you are doing it at the right stage, at the right, so you need two blood tests. They need to be four to six weeks apart. You need to be doing it around the third day of the cycle. And really, unless you're prematurely menopausal, they're pretty inaccurate. Because right. you fluctu- if you imagine you fluctuate, your hormones are fluctuating so much. Your reading could be one thing one day, and then two days later, it could be a completely different reading. So yep. diagnosis on symptoms alone. Yep. Okay, got you. Yeah. All right. So if you were doing the blood test route, then you would want two at the same point in your cycle, two separate blood tests. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. What are some of the the things that ladies can do to make lifestyle changes to try and mitigate some of the symptoms of the menopause? I mean, are we largely subjected to this and we just have to endure or are there things we can do to make it easier? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, I bang on about lifestyle choices all Mm. the time. If you go and see a menopause specialist, they will first and foremost talk about your lifestyle choices because they can make the most, they have the biggest impact on how you experience your symptoms, on how they manifest themselves within you. And definitely, I mean, things like hot flushes and night sweats, the more exercise you do, the more well-nourished you are, the more sleep you're getting. And if you can get some rest and relaxation into your day as well, that you will experience those symptoms in a much better way, be able to manage them much better as well. So really look at what you're eating and drinking, really look at your exercise levels, try and exercise a little bit every day. You know, I've got definitely got friends, so we all have a complete lot of couch potatoes, but I've never, you know, encouraged them just even to do 10 minutes of high intensity exercise. And it does genuinely make a difference to how you experience these symptoms. Definitely. Okay. Before we go into some of those, those lifestyle changes, yeah. how does that enable women to cope with menopause better? Is it because the body is just fitter in general and it can endure these things more easily? Mm-hmm. Or what's the kind of, if you like, the mechanism of action that's happening there? So yeah, definitely being fitter. I mean, with any health issue, let alone the menopause, the fitter you are and the, the you know how well nourished you are, and if you're getting enough sleep, you're going to be a healthier person. It's, it's an absolute no-brainer. So if you know thinking about things like 
or thinking about things like caffeine levels, alcohol levels, things like that, you know, really try you'd things like caffeine can trigger hot flushes and night sweats and they definitely interrupt with sleep patterns and things like that. So the more you really look at what you're taking into your body and how much you're exercising and and how much you're hydrating can can really make a difference. Okay. So you mentioned caffeine, you've mentioned alcohol, you've mentioned exercise. Are there any lesser known lifestyle changes that women can make that you found to be effective? There's lots of different ways that you can help symptoms and help yourself, you know, that you can self-manage your symptoms. But if you can if you can find somewhere where you can go and learn some cognitive behavioral therapy techniques or you're looking to positive mindfulness, these things which are non-invasive, non-medical ways of looking after yourself and helping with your symptoms, these definitely have loads of research going in this area at the moment and they really, really help, particularly CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, definitely helps with all those vasomotor symptoms, the, the hot sweats in the night and the night sweats and helps with your sleeping patterns, but also with all those emotional, psychological symptoms as well can really help anxiety mm. and stress, things mm. like that. Going back to caffeine, yeah. do you recommend that women abstain from caffeine completely or cut it down? <laughs> or If they were to follow your advice and you could say anything. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, so many women go, I can't do that. My double yeah. espresso is all through well you can um yeah. <laughs> i think caffeine if you are it's addictive isn't it it's just yeah quite literally is yeah it is and it caffeine the thing you have to explain sometimes is that caffeine stays in your body for so long mm. you know once you've had that caffeinated drink it doesn't just whoosh right through you you know you get the effects of it for quite a long time afterwards so i always say you know just do it do things slowly don't do you know don't have dramatic changes to your diet or, or your exercise level just do sustainable realistic make sustainable realistic choices so start by taking your caffeinated drink earlier in the day and then you know before going on to decaf things like that so maybe just to have your have your last caffeinated drink before lunchtime and then then reduce that to maybe just having one at coffee time in the morning and then if you can take it out of your diet eventually then all to the good but I mean it is a massive stimulant as we all know so an irritant so mm. yeah definitely and the same for alcohol really look at how much alcohol you know you're not meant to two or three units a day and don't have all those 14 units as in a <laughs> one or at the weekend is obvious but really look at how much you're taking in and I mean, I, I don't tell anybody to stop drinking caffeine completely or stop drinking alcohol completely. Just, just really look at what you're taking in and moderate it mm. and always think about hydrating on top of that. So if you have a coffee, have a glass of water at the same time. If you're having a, a gin and tonic night, have a glass of water at the same time. I've mentioned this book so many times on the podcast that listeners will be frustrated, but Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, is such a good read. Yeah. And in that book, he describes there are fast and slow metabolizers of caffeine, and you can find this out through a genetic test, but let's assume that most people are slow metabolizers for argument's sake. And he says that caffeine has a quarter life of 12 hours. So a cup of coffee at 9am will still be processing itself out as late as midnight. And very few people are aware of that. It stays a long time. Plus, it causes flushing or it can cause accelerated heart rate, yeah. which are, I believe, symptoms of, of flushing. So you're kind of compounding the issue potentially, aren't you? Oh, no, absolutely. Yes, yeah. So the, the more you can limit these things in your diet, definitely. It's make, I often say to women, you know, if you have to find out your triggers of things like hot flushes and night sweats they can be completely random but then they can be triggered by certain foods and drinks so it's usually a good idea to get sounds a bit nerdy but keep a food diary for a week mm. and then really just simply write down 
the precursors to your hot sweats and to your hot flushes and your night sweats, or maybe if you're having palpitations, things like that. And it soon becomes obvious which are the precursors, you know, which things are causing causing those. And I believe you've got a diary that women can download from the website, haven't you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. just a PDF. Just you, know, you can download it. It's got hot flush diary, a sleep diary, a urinary leakage diary, things like that that you can just use. Just a simple diary, and it's got all the symptoms listed on as well, and some useful websites mm. on there as well. So, mm. yeah, yeah, and I'll put a link to that and specifically to the diary. Yeah, let's talk about weight gain because this is one of the questions we had around this. You know, when I told people I was going to be interviewing you, is how can I manage or try and prevent some of that weight gain? I mean, firstly, is the weight gain inevitable, and if so, what causes is it mm, different, different with every woman obviously mm. you know some women yep. do literally just sail through this period and, and in their lives and wonder what all the fuss is about and other people it's really really common to put you get redistribution of weight around more around your mid, midriff so around your waistline and you know a lot of women will say to me like I'm eating exactly what I used to eat and exercising exactly what I used to <laughs> exercise you know 25 years ago and yet I'm putting weight on but your metabolic rate is slowing down I mean that's part of the aging process anyway accompanied by the effects of estrogen deficiency as well contributing to that so really I would say always do sustainable realistic choices don't do fatty diets don't go on fasting diets if you want to do a fast do a natural fast so eat you know three staple meals and healthy snacks up until about 5 30 then don't have anything else to eat until the next morning about 7 30 you've done a natural fast overnight when your body doesn't need all that energy yeah don't do please don't do fatty diets it's the bane of my life <laughs> yeah just, well I, I quite agree yeah. interesting you mentioned kind of fasting We've just started doing, my partner and I, time-restricted eating. So we have dinner by six, which I appreciate is not an option for everybody. We're fortunate to have an office just down the road. But we eat by, by six o'clock and we don't start eating again till nine or ten o'clock. Yeah. Now, there is some discussion around whether 16 hours is slightly too long for women. But, you know, as you've mentioned several times, everything's very personal. So that's what we're trying. Yeah. And I don't know if you'd endorse that, that sort of pattern or that length of fast specifically but what we are finding is in the evening there isn't any of that about to watch something at nine o'clock so just go via the fridge and have some dark chocolate or some cheese yeah. you know that little bit of a graze at nine at night or I yeah. might have three or four biscuits because they're one of my few vices now that are remaining and sometimes I get a bit of heartburn from that because it's just you know, biscuits and then you're in a slouchy position just not great yeah. so would you I mean that sort of time restricted eating pattern is that something that obviously we're not talking for specific individuals that you'd recommend well, I, just, I don't know. It's such a personal choice. You know, I mean, as long as you're... On, it's probably worth trying, isn't it? It is worth trying, but as long as you're really well nourished throughout the day. So don't mm. restrict those energy levels during the day because your body needs energy. Yes. You know, you know, just really look at what you're eating, pack it full of nutrients. I always say, count your nutrients and not your calories, definitely. People get obsessed with Absolutely, yep. Really count your nutrients and make sure if you're fully well nourished throughout the day, then yeah, you can, you know, your, your body's powering down, you know, throughout the night and that's when you don't need as much energy. So it's a good time if you want to do it mm. fast. Yeah, so. it's a re really important point is that I'm not restricting my calories during the day. If I'm eating from nine, let's say nine or 10 in the morning till six mm -hmm. at night, I'm still having three meals. Yeah. The benefit is that if you've had breakfast at 10, you don't want a huge lunch at one and you don't want a massive dinner at six if you've had lunch at one. Yeah. So, but I'm not consciously cutting calories. I have no idea how many calories I consume. It's not important. I personally, I think if you know you're eating healthily and you're packing in the nutrients, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And eating a huge variety of food, lean meats, you know, maybe just have red meat once a week and, yeah. you know, sensible things like that. 
Yep, absolutely. So on weight gain, then there's there's a possibility of doing some sort of lengthier fo- overnight fast. What is it that causes the weight gain around the middle? Is it hormonal? Is it just that? So is there water retention element? It's contributive factors of all sorts of different things. Maybe people don't have us. I mean, we've all got really busy lifestyles, you know, we're you know, not known for this sandwich being the sandwich generation for nothing. We've maybe got teenage children, elderly parents. We don't really have as much time to think about ourselves. So, you know, maybe exercise levels are a bit lower and you really just have to focus on on nudging those exercise levels and the, and the eating habits mm. in different directions, just mm. tweaking those. But I think, you know, estrogen definitely contributes to your, to how your digestive tract works. And then also you've got a natural slowing down of your metabolic rate as well. So everything, it's not just, it's not just down to one thing, lots of different contributive factors. Okay. So really tightening up on nutrition stroke diet, yeah. but not diet in the traditional sense, being adaptable around exercise, possibly looking to do something more or different because your metabolic rate is slowing down. Yeah. And also think about your, I mean, think about all those emotional, psychological symptoms that can rear their ugly heads as well. Because if you're stressed and anxious, that also contributes to that as well. So, um, you know, try and get on top of those as well. CBT is absolutely fantastic for that. But the more you exercise and the health you are the better you're going to cope with those symptoms definitely absolutely okay thank you for that so i want to talk a bit about companies there seems to be a little bit of an awakening in certain forward-thinking organizations that half our workforce potentially could be female and at some point some of them are going to be going through menopause are you noticing that are you getting called in to do more workshops and what are your thoughts around the whole menopause at work Mm-hmm. you know issue yeah no absolutely yeah you yeah, know definitely getting called an awful lot these days you know a lot of organizations really taking this on board now and making sure that they are a menopause friendly organization basically mm. so just acknowledging the menopause as a long-term health condition really really important making sure you provide education for your staff for your male staff as well as your female staff that can obviously be a, a problem sometimes because a lot of the time I go into organizations and the talks are open for men and women to attend and more often than not it's predominantly women as you can imagine so a way yeah. of getting around that is to provide men only sessions which I found have been really successful they're really interactive you're really well attended but that's where uh, for getting around that one um, make sure that you provide education for management as well some organizations you go in and they're providing information for the staff and then they're not thinking about the the management side and HR well mm-hmm. you're not going to facilitate those changes within the organization unless you get management in to know to know what it's all about mm. And how would you suggest somebody listening in, male or female, wants to raise awareness of the menopause in their workplace? What are some of the steps that they can take? So get somebody in, whoever it is, to do informal information sessions. Definitely is a good starting point. And then, you know, following on from that, you maybe want to do that regularly or and then following on from that, making sure you've got a key figure within the management who is informed and approachable and so that people know that they can go to them and and talk easily about that and make sure you think about getting a menopause policy in place or guidelines around the menopause that people can refer to and then you know moving on from that once you once you're providing all your information you know further down the line it's quite good to think about maybe providing time and space where people can just drop in and talk about the menopause so you know like a a menopause hub or something like that when you know people can just drop in and and chat freely and not feel as you know embarrassed about going and talking about it that's been really really successful in several organizations so 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then making sure that you listen to people and listen to their problems and then think about how you're going to support those people through that stage of their lives. Because basically, essentially, you're wanting to retain that workforce. You're wanting to retain your valuable staff so that they don't either want to take part-time jobs or less stressful jobs or, you know, indeed some some people end up leaving mm. their work. So you want to be able to make those reasonable adjustments, those practical changes, even if it's just thinking about flexi time or, you know, if people have got problems with uniforms or all these sorts of things need to be taken into account. Yeah. And, you know, how you're feeling and, and the menopause being a significant part of that for women is part of your overall well-being. And there's a lot of talk about well-being now and Companies are starting to realise this is important. It's not a nice to do, but it's actually a significant competitive advantage. Yeah. And the company that attracts and retains its talent will be the one that recognises that things like menopause exist. And here's what we do for you. It's part of our wellbeing programme. So hopefully we're going to see a, a change in, in the attitude toward menopause. And rather than it's sort of shush, shush, we don't talk about that or that's a women's problem. There may be increased awareness and, and you know, better management of it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's a huge, I've noticed a, a huge difference this year, definitely, in m- many more organisations getting in touch, wanting talks and to educate the staff, really taking it on board and, you know, being really proactive in, in making those changes for their employees, you know, and, and really accepting accepting it as a long-term health condition it's not a lifelong condition it's a long-term condition Mm. but you know you've got to accept it as that and provide you know uh, facilities I mean things like just providing desk funds for people or you know making sure people have got access to lots to cold drinking water or that they're making sure they you know they can get frequent toilet breaks or that their you know their bathrooms supplied with with free sanitary products as well because sometimes we can get caught caught out sometimes things mm-hmm. like that little things make a huge amount of difference to women yeah absolutely i want to just finish by talking a bit about hrt i know historically there's controversy around this arguably still is yeah, but yeah. i have heard a lot of advice recently from qualified practitioners saying actually a lot of the studies that were done yeah are you know they're riddled with faults so what's your opinion on hrt yeah, no, completely agree with that. I mean, you can find loads of uh, reports online just confirming all that as well. And the BMS, the British Menopause Society, has worked tirelessly for the last oh, 10, 15 years to correct that misinformation. So my advice to anybody would be do not read any papers. <laughs> so don't read any newspapers about any medical issue. Go online, go and look at the British Menopause Society or Women's Health Concern. There's two main Women's Health Concern is the patient arm of the British Menopause Society. Go onto those websites and read about HRT on those websites, and that's where you'll get the accurate information. But, you know, HRT, with anything that you, any medication that you are putting into your body, there are obviously going to be side effects, even from a paracetamol right up to anything that you want to put in. So, everybody's going to experience side effects in different ways, but there are lots of other different contributing factors to each different individual if they're going to take HRT that you have to take into consideration. So, but the benefits massively outweigh the risks when it comes to HRT. So any menopause specialist out there will advocate taking HRT as first line treatment if you want to go down a medical route. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, let's move on. So I was just going to ask you about testosterone supplements as well. We had a quick chat before we went on air about this. It was a question that came in, which supplements would you recommend for testosterone and would it be male or female? What's your thoughts on that? Well, 
Testosterone isn't licensed for females in the UK at the moment. So if you wanted to go down that route, then you'd have to go and see a menopause specialist who might be able to prescribe it off license and it would be the male testosterone gel that you'd be prescribed. But you can do an awful lot, you know, going back to the lifestyle choices that you can make, you can do an awful lot before you have to go down that route. Because I know a lot of women, particularly prematurely, menopausal ladies can have problems in this area but the fitter you are the healthier you are and the more hydrated you are the better everything will work and you know it might be a slower route but there's an awful lot of things that you can do before you go down thinking about testosterone Mm. okay all right great is there anything that i haven't asked you that you really want to add to this conversation I think you've been asking really good questions, actually. <laughs> I, think, I think you've covered an awful lot in half an hour, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I would point out, I mean, we haven't talked about all the vaginal symptoms, the urinary symptoms as well. It's one of my favourite topics because lots of women don't want to talk about that. But at the end of the day, whenever I do a talk, you can't stop talking about it. There's that many questions. Yeah. So these symptoms are known as your long-term symptoms. So your physical symptoms and your psychological symptoms, they're your sh- relatively short-term symptoms, supposedly. And then you've got what's called your genitourine symptoms. So they're, your, they're your, one of your long-term symptoms with, as, you know, with osteoporosis, things like that. So things like vaginal atrophy, urinary leakage, urinary incontinence, things like that. The first and foremost any woman needs to do is to really make sure that they're doing the pelvic floor exercises once a day. And if you've got a problem in this area, because you've got estrogen receptors all over your body, so it affects everywhere. And that's why there's so many different symptoms, obviously. So I think if you've got a problem in this area, then make sure you're doing your pelvic floor exercise. If you've got a real problem, make sure you're doing them three times a day. And if you really do have a problem, then get referred to see a physiotherapist who specializes in women's health because you can really, really make a difference by getting that muscle toned up again. And the really good app to download is the Squeezy app. It's an app, it's an NHS app. Squeezy. Squeezy. Okay. www.squeezy.com and it's under the NHS. It's uh, devised by uh, physiotherapists who specialize in women's health. It gives you exercises, timed exercises. It tells you all about the pelvic floor, tells you how to do a pelvic floor. It's really, really it maybe costs, I don't know, two ninety nine, but it's well worth downloading mm-hmm. and really, really useful. Yeah. Brilliant. So it's never late, never too late to start. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fantastic. I will link to all of that, squeezy.com, the British Menopause Society, the Women's Health Concern, your book, the diary, your social media links, which are for Twitter, it's at menopause underscore talk. That's correct. Your website is letstalkmenopause.co.uk. People can access the diary, they can access your blog and sign up for your newsletter there. Plus, I think they can book talks and workshops and get in touch with you directly. They can indeed. Yeah. Yep. Facebook, it's Let's Talk Menopause. Yeah. And yeah, I I think that's everything. And we have managed to power through quite a lot. So Ruth, thank you very much. Not at all. Thanks for having me on. It's It's a pleasure. What's next for you? Well, it's World Menopause Day tomorrow. So I'm off to go and give some Mm -hmm. talks. Talks over in Hamilton tomorrow, actually, near Glasgow. And yeah, just doing more talks all over the place. Yeah. Right. So you literally travel across the UK, do you, talking all things menopause? Uh, well, I mainly, I'm, I'm based in Scottish borders, so I really mainly cover Scotland. Right. But I wouldn't know where needed, yes. But um, there's lots of people doing what I do um, down in England as well that you can uh, tap into. So yeah, if you are in England, if you're down, down south, give me a bell and I'll let you know who to, who to get in touch with down there. Okay. Fantastic, Ruth. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you. Bye. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? 
jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on take the test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.